to First Time Lord. I'm Daniel Levain, and as the title of the podcast implies, I am a first-timer. I have never sat through and watched Doctor Who in its entirety. I've never watched Doctor Who until I started this podcast, and at the behest of my friends, I am now completely solidly into this fandom and i can't wait for every one of these weeks to come by so that i could watch a new episode and then chat with a doctor who expert that can help me flesh out what i've seen help me understand how it all works together and this week to put it all into context for me we're bringing back eric sweetman hi everybody great to be here I like how you say expert, but I really can't claim that title. I'm just a uh, a good fan who owns a Tardis or you know, a uh, David Tennant jacket, several different Sonic screwdrivers, um, all the episodes on DVD or Blu-ray. You know, just the little things. Lots of books, um, some other kind of trinkets. <laughs> not a not a huge fan though right, right. i mean it, it, just just a just a fan just somebody that appreciates the show and uh, yeah you you considered next to me you technically are an expert because you have more knowledge than i do and that's that's why you're here to help clarify today we are going to be talking about smith and jones which is officially the first episode of series three so if you have not seen smith and jones here's a perfect time to pause the podcast go enjoy the show and come back because in discussing the episode i will inevitably bring up things that will spoil the plot so be warned uh, the warning out of the way, uh, jumping right on in, uh, clearly this, this had to be, or was going to be the episode, uh, in which we were going to get a Rose replacement, right? That's, that's what I was expecting. Uh, and with the title of Smith and Jones, I figured it had something to do with, uh, Rose's replacement, uh, what I was not expecting is to find the the girl that plays Rose's replacement so familiar. <laughs> like the entire episode, I could not figure out why, like why I know her, or like how I know her. Uh, but the entire episode, I was like, she looks so familiar. Um, but I also I loved the fact that uh, they gave the doctor a companion who is almost a doctor. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. As soon as she could pass those last tests, she's got it. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you, uh, what would you, when you see her, were you able to make a connection at all with anything or was it just a complete mystery of why do I know this face? It honestly, like, because I, I, the, the way I watch these episodes is I try not to, because there is so much more to Doctor Who than what I have seen so far. Series 3 is still very early on in the reboot of the show. I try my best not to search the internet for anything or regarding Doctor Who unless I have very specific parameters. Like I'm looking for specifically 10th Doctor uh 
you know, images for or David Tennant or, you know, looking for images on Cybermen and looking like I try to be very specific because I don't want to be spoiled. So I don't research a lot of what's going on. And when I see something in the episode that does this to me, like she looked familiar, but I didn't know from where. I don't look them up. I don't look them up on IMDb. I don't look them up anywhere else because I don't want to inadvertently spoil myself on plots that are going to come up in the future. Uh, and one of the the beautiful things about having a lot of friends that are very passionate about the show but also understand that part of the fun of the show is going on this journey and not knowing too much as we move forward Every single one of you that has always asked me to watch the show has never spoiled me, has never said anything around me that really spoils the show. Uh, there, there were certain things that I knew just because. <laughs> well, that changes. <laughs> right. I mean, that I knew that Torchwood was a thing because it was a show that existed uh, and I had heard that it was a show that existed, um, but I didn't know how it connected to Doctor Who and why. And now I know, um, you know, I, I know that John Barrowman is in Doc, in Torchwood because I had heard people talking about just in general the show and John Barrowman. Uh, but again, I haven't watched Torchwood yet, so I don't know how he is involved in the show. Uh, and I try not to do that. I try not to spoil myself. So I honestly don't know, but she looked so familiar. Um, and she like immediately felt like she belonged in this universe with the doctor, like her, her reaction to him on the street uh, when he comes up, uh, which, of course, you know, having seen the entire episode, we know it's him from the future coming back to the past to prove to her that he can time travel. Uh, but her reaction, you know, it, it was one of like, oh, OK, that's kind of a cute guy and a weird thing to do to somebody, but I'm going to keep going to work. Uh, so. And even in the hospital, when everything goes wrong, everybody's freaking out. Like, there's that very hilarious scene to me where, like, you see the people in the hospital uh, looking out uh, when when the thing gets teleported to the moon. And they're all screaming and howling, you know, because of, I guess, the abject terror of realizing that they're on the moon. And she's looking out with, like, awe and wonder. And you're like, yeah, that's that's the person that needs to be with a doctor. So I, I, I really yeah. liked how they set I her liked up how they, in this episode. I liked how they approached it a little bit with uh, like, all right, you come with me, not you, you'll slow us down. You know, telling the, uh, the, the woman of Indian descent um, that she wasn't like, they, they didn't need her. She wasn't somebody whose mind was ready to hang out with a doctor. Like be gone with you. Um, mm -hmm. And she was still a fairly well, put together uh doctor herself you know it's like she she wasn't completely crippled and panicked but uh there were a few that really mm -hmm. were but nobody else had the same um we're here for the like well we could die but we're not dying so let's keep going and see what happens that's wonderful way of approaching uh just 
life in general and anything with the doctor himself, you, you don't know what's going to happen. So you might as well see how it goes. <laughs> well, and it, I would hope that all doctors have that disposition in the sense that, you know, instead of immediately thinking of the worst case scenario, she's like, okay, well, everything seems to be fine right now. Yeah. So let's just keep going. <laughs> you know, we'll worry when we have to worry. We'll get concerned when we have to get concerned. And she does, you know, she does get concerned uh, later in the episode when seemingly the doctor uh, is uh, afflicted and affected. Uh, you know, she shows uh, a great level of concern, but that was a moment that warranted it as opposed to just looking at the window and realizing that something is, uh, you know, hugely wrong. I mean, from the beginning when she's like, oh, yeah, look, it's raining upside down or raining backwards. And, oh, yeah, look, look at all that lightning. Uh, but there was never a, a sense of fear, uh, which in a little bit, I think it reflects uh, while Rose was not as educated as uh, Martha, is it? Yes. Yes, it's Martha. While Rose was uh, not as educated as uh, Martha, Rose had that sort of instinct of uh, not immediately panicking uh, and being curious about everything that is happening. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens with somebody that has a very similar aptitude, but also has, uh, which we've already seen a little bit of it, uh, the the knowledge of a doctor uh, and how it comes into play and how she's able to use her knowledge uh, and the fact that she realized the doctor has two hearts uh, to be able to um, resuscitate the doctor by performing compressions on both sides of his chest to get both hearts going. Um, you know, so I'm very interested to see what happens um, with this specific pairing and yeah, the, I didn't teach us that CPR class. <laughs> right. And if you're happening to be performing chest compressions on a time Lord, make sure that you apply them evenly on both sides. <laughs> if he starts to glow, step back a bit. This could hurt. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, Another thing that I really liked about this episode is um, like some of the um, some of the more fun uh, episodes that we've had in the past, this episode starts with the you know dilemma and then it has that moment of possible menace or threat of this alien that is going to apparently suck out and drink the blood of this doctor. And I'm thinking like, Oh, okay. Are we going to get introduced to like some sort of vampire race of aliens? And no, she pulls out a straw Yeah, and the, the menace of her, you know, her motorcycle helmet did, you know, uh, Tron looking wannabes uh, are holding the guy down while she menacingly gets close to him with a straw. And I just, I couldn't stop laughing there in that moment. I legitimately yeah. laughed out loud. Yeah. She's a plasma 
that was the name of the alien. So somebody who drinks or only consumes blood. And the the idea of her right. being able to escape the blood to be able to take on the characteristics that becomes important when the cops show up. Yeah, they um, we've discovered. <laughs> As this, as the show goes on, it's like, okay, this old lady in the hospital was um, at a hospital where there was a lot of uh, the plasma, all the blood in their uh, in their blood bank was running low surprisingly quickly. They couldn't figure out where this had gone. And apparently she had just popped in for a bit of a snack. Um, but she's on the run from <laughs> Greece. And the very most unusual kind of police that we could ever expect to find. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, the, and then the police that are in question transport the entire hospital to the moon. They're the ones who did this. And they go and they, they land their giant phallic ships down on the surface of the moon, march out in uh, uh, formation, and go easily through the force field. The only thing that's holding in the little bit of air that they have, important later. Um, and then they uh, they proceed to try to track down the alien that they're looking for by determining, well, these are humans. We're going to cross off these humans um, but we will, you know, we're going to find the, the alien. We have to find the, the non-human in the bunch. And they use a Sharpie, a very well-covered <laughs> Sharpie. But I thought it was hysterical that the marks on the hand is like some cheap uh, movie concert or, uh, you know, some some nightclub that you go to that didn't have uh, enough money for a good stamp. Produced in the most sci-fi, like, of fashions because it's you know on the back of the device that they use to scan the people but it's mm-hmm. you know it, it like you said it does feel like that uh like they're using that weird flashlight that lets them see glow in the dark stuff and then they yeah. like mark your the back of your hands like okay you're good you you you've already paid come on in and, um, yeah. and yeah i i, I like the I, <laughs> right, I, and I, I liked that alien, uh, the plasmasoid. You said plasmavore, like carnivore, but plasma, plasmavore, plasma. That's that's what it was. Okay, uh, the the plasmavore. I love that idea because you know, again, using uh, usual tropes, but spinning it a little bit uh, on the sci-fi side. The idea that it's not that. Uh, she's like a vampire and needs the blood is that she uses it to sustain herself, but she also uses it to disguise herself uh, because it allows her to assimilate and in essence appear to the scans, to these rudimentary scans as a human being, um, which is a great little uh, plot device, which of course gets turned on its head because why wouldn't the doctor exploit that uh, incredible flaw? And so when you know he l- lets her drink from his blood, of course she appears as an alien because he is an alien, uh, and she's uh, immediately uncovered uh, in a way that she didn't expect because he was, you know, pretending to be a human, which was very um, that that's. Ooh, excuse me. That that scene was particularly uh, funny, you know, because here's the doctor asking all of the, you know, 
and and like tr- you could see he's like trying to do his best in asking some of the most pedantic questions possible to appear human to appear like a human yeah it's like oh if i act real stupid people are going to say i'm a human and they'll never suspect that i was something else because <laughs> we're nothing but dumb people on this <laughs> right because every so often he would pull out a little bit like well um correct me if i'm wrong i mean i i'm not uh i'm not super learned but uh you know isn't that radius that you just described also including the earth uh you know so he he pulls out a little bit of knowledge here and there but generally he immediately follows it up with you know another very simple uh simple-minded question to throw her off the scent. Yeah. So you mentioned the uh, the police officers, uh, which yeah. happened to be, uh, I wish more of them revealed themselves. Clearly, uh, this was one of those like budgetary constraints. So we're going to show you only one of them. The rest are going to be wearing like these cool, like, hoods uh but they're like the head of a rhino the body of a human kind of their bodies uh because yeah we're dealing with human actors performing them they're going to be more in the proportion but uh even in the books they do describe them basically yes they're humanoid rhinoceri but they are you know big guys they're you know they, they're massive they're, their heads are not quite as overdone compared to their bodies in the book um but they're still such a beautiful image i mean here's their their leather or mm-hmm. rubber police uniforms with like little uh not quite kilts but uh, like roman skirts or something uh and and then this mm-hmm amazing head and you're right you only see the one because they probably were very expensive and difficult to animate they were puppets i could tell that it was uh animated on set that it was an actual uh on set situation uh like practical uh puppet kind of a thing but uh i love the idea that the, the reason they're in the moon is the there's an alien that they're looking for uh, that has committed a crime. They don't tell us what until later. Um, mm-hmm. And I have some questions about that. But uh, to be able to get to her uh, and not violate galactic law, they have to literally rip the entire hospital out of Earth and onto the moon, which is a you know sort of neutral <laughs> zone. Uh, and yeah. that's how they're able to extract and look for this alien. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, galactic law is uh, a little murky on some of the ideas, you know, the, 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 what they need to do, what what's, constitutes a legitimate act versus a, uh, um, a spiteful act. Or, you know, it, it's like, okay, you're kind of, you know, you, a guy hits you over the head with a vase and you kill him, but you're not and you know, you're not violating anything by transporting an entire hospital and possibly having everybody in it die from asphyxiation. <laughs> True. I mean, it's, <laughs> and the doctor says they're, they're kind of thick. He says that a couple yeah. of times, which I love. It's like, yeah, they, these guys, the, uh, what were they called? The Jadu? Jadu? 
Jadoon. J-U-D-O-O-N. Jadoon. <laughs> Jadoon. The, yeah, the, the Jadoon are thick. He says that. Um, but yeah, they were they were really cool. And I love the idea that there's sort of this paramilitary uh, group that sort of loosely enforces galactic law. Sorry, uh, they're police for hire. Yeah, so they're enforcing the laws that whoever hired them, uh, what the, those are the laws. And so with this, uh, what they're doing, they're tracking down this woman, kind of like a massive group of bounty hunters because they were hired by the, um, the royal family of whatever princess this, uh, the, the plasmavore consumed and so they want you know they want revenge and they want uh, mm-hmm. their their job is to bring her in and to execute her on site so i am i uh, am i looking once again too deep into this uh to expect or assume that perhaps we might find out more about this family honestly i don't recall i don't believe so i think some things can be just set up as um, that's amusing, but the way they described her was, you know, the little princess who died was uh, very Shirley Temple, you know, very uh, um, just something that's super cute and adorable, and that's why she deserved to die, according to the plasmavore. Um, but I don't recall them going <laughs> back to her at all. Um, I don't remember, honestly, I don't think we ever see a, another plasmavore. Um, and as far as the Judoom go, I want to see more of them because they're pretty awesome. Just, they look so cool. Yeah. They, I, I like their look. I like their general sort of, uh, practice. Cause, uh, you know, the, at this point I I've come to, uh, almost expect, uh, the doctor who is going to throw you a curve, uh, and just like they did with the Ood, uh, you know, the Jadoon come in and they look so, you know, bad and menacing and they turn out not to really be the bad guys that you think they are based on their look. You know, uh, once right. again, Doctor Who playing on the preconceived notions of what we believe to be uh, good and bad based on just appearances. So I really like the fact that they play with that. Well, you get that, uh, gee, what a nice little old lady who turns out to be a bloodthirsty uh, horror person. Uh, and <laughs> what I thought was cool is that, uh, you know, yeah, she's got her straw, but she still has blood all in her mouth and her teeth. You know, it's like it's not just a perfectly clean way. She <laughs> looks like she's actually been drinking blood. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciated that a lot because uh, it's, it's a small little detail, but – if she is going to be gulping down these massive amount of plasma, um, the, you know, there would be some kind of hint. And I, I love the fact that you see that in her. Uh, and the fact that as she's doing that, you see the doctor get drain of color. Uh, you know, that's another uh, nice little uh, attention, you know, a bit of attention. Um, there, There is a moment in this episode in which the doctor... Uh, absorbs all this radiation uh, and then expels it out a single point to make it, to render, render it inert. And 
it leads to one of the most comedic things I've seen David Tennant do so far. And he can be pretty comedic sometime. I mean, this is a fighting hand was pretty darn funny. Uh, But the idea that he ends up taking off his shoe and then realizing, well, no, that's going to look stupid if I walk around with only one shoe. So he takes off the other one. Well, they were radioactive. You got to throw them into the the, the bin. So (laughs) I mean, why not? Right. Which, of course, for a moment, I'm like, are they going to do like a diehard kind of situation here? And like he's going to have to run through the glass. I'm kind of glad they didn't go in that direction because, you know, you almost expect it. But that's, again, what's so cool about Doctor Who is that they could set you up on the edge of it and go, nah, we're not going to go there. Right. (laughs) Maybe if it was a Christmas episode. (laughs) <laughs> maybe but because they do like sometimes they make such a big deal out of setting up a, a joke and then they just set up the joke they play the joke and that's it and sometimes the setups also lead to other things happening and you know i genuinely i was ready for it i was like okay is this the moment where the doctor's gonna have to deal with nope nope he's perfectly fine it basically him being barefoot uh, does not, you know, have any bearing on the rest of the story at all or what happens to him. Uh, so that was kind of fun. Yeah, getting a yippee kai you just. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and he didn't use his uh, catchphrase, you know. Oh, oh. Uh, Allons-y, so. <laughs> um, so uh, I didn't, I don't think that this is one of those episodes that is very heavy on setting up plot uh, for the rest of the season, uh, like some of the other uh, first episodes have been, and setting up sort of interactions with things like Torchwood or um, right. you know, introducing Bad Wolf uh, into it. Um, so, did I miss anything? Well, as an episode, this thing, this gives you your first experience in a new companion. That's kind of important, you know, and that's because in the, you got to see mm-hmm. um, Eccleston getting Rose as a companion, but you never got to see um, that, that through line where, like, we got to see Rose bridging Eccleston and Tennant, but now we've got Martha coming in so tenant is bridging um rose and now and now martha and i think that's that's a it's an important thing also the fact that there's the the relationship that uh um the doctor doesn't want to talk about you know he's like okay well you know she's not here she's with her family she's fine she's fine um so that the fact that he's carrying that but doesn't want to talk about it and the fact that, um, you know, the the kiss, and he made sure that she knew the kiss means nothing. This is nothing. But it gave him um, or gave her the taste of the alien that would be picked up on the scan. Like there's evidence of an alien life form, a non-human life form. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was his point. But for her, and she goes, you call that nothing means nothing? You know, because there's... Like she's got feelings. She's already got feelings, even though she at the Uh end, she talks about, well, no, I'm only interested in dating humans. That's a deflection. 
you know, so this will become more of a, Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. You could tell it's, but it's like, this is the way this season progresses. The series progresses. It's this woman um, is out there and having this wonderful time, but is also living under the shadow of somebody who's no longer there to be with the doctor. Yeah. And uh, we talked about it at uh, great length uh, during the runaway bride episode. Uh, and it was good to see that the doctor is still carrying uh, Rose, but it's not as uh, emotionally, um, you know, he's not as de- emotionally distraught when he talks about her this time around. Um, he's, you know, he's still deflecting, uh, really talking about her, but he's able to name check her uh and and kind of briefly talk about her without that lump that comes to his throat like it does in uh runaway bride so it, it's good to see that the doctor is able to move on yeah that was so flat. yeah 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 and uh so now uh to our uh quickly becoming my favorite section of the podcast uh we're going to ask uh, Ashley Martin to share some of her uh, tardis tidbits tidbits about this episode that we didn't know so Ashley take it away This is Ashley's fun facts for season 3 episode 1 Smith and Jones So again, we have another mention of Saxon. Uh, It's mentioned on a TV report and a campaign poster behind Martha as she's entering the TARDIS for the very first time. And speaking of that moment when Martha goes into the TARDIS the first time, when the doctor sarcastically is mouthing along with Martha while she's saying, it's bigger on the inside. It was an ad lib by David Tennant. We mentioned back in season two during Army of Ghosts that you would want to remember the actress who played Adiola, who worked at Torchwood and ultimately died. Well, that actress is now our companion, Martha Jones. And in this episode, Martha mentions Adiola as her cousin. I cannot believe that I did not pick up on the fact that she is the same actress from the that the first two parter that you and Ashley and I talked about. Yeah, we both like, told you. How, how did I miss that? How could I not? We re- told you. Remember <laughs> that actress. <laughs> I thought it was like remember the character, not the actress. It did not. I did not clue in. That is so. Wow, I cannot believe that. That's great. I mean, uh, this is, that was fantastic. And I, it is not the first time that a Doctor Who performer has gone on to do another role in this, and it certainly won't be the last time. You know, um, most of it, like the the guy who played the Sixth Doctor, was some military leader in uh, an earlier storyline so this you know this is just you find somebody you like to work with you bring them back see what else you could do that's what happens here <laughs> oh that that was really quick though because that was like 
three episodes later, she's there as a different character. And then they go, oh, yeah, that's my cousin. You're like, uh, I did not see that coming. Sneak into the back plastic area and, uh, you know, romance. And, oh, my God, there's a a Cyberman. (laughs) Speaking of a cast member playing dual roles, Martha's mother was previously in the episode New Earth from season two. Adwa Ando, she played Sister Jet, one of the cat nurses who worked at the hospital. In getting more into the doctor's history that we're slowly learning about, this is the first time the doctor reveals that he had a brother. Okay, so what the heck? I did not hear him talk about a brother. When when did he talk about a brother in this episode? Oh, um, he was talking about like they. Um, Martha was asking him if uh, you know it was did he have somebody? Was there anybody else like him? You know, do you have a brother? She was trying to figure out a little bit about him because she's got uh, at least one sister and a brother, mom and a dad, and dad's girlfriend and late cousin and all that stuff. So she's got a fairly big family and was wondering what his was. And he says, Oh no, I had a brother, but you know, he's long gone. He's, he's not around. And I don't know. I don't believe that that's actually referring to an actual brother, but somebody else that, um, you know, another time Lord. Yes. Well, cause he's, he very quickly mentioned it. And of course, uh, in the episode that he talked about it, fear her, um, Jamie, uh, when I asked her about it, just, <laughs> uh, basically alluded to the fact that it would be a spoiler and I couldn't get, but he mentioned that he was a father that, oh, yeah. you know, at some point he had been a father. So, this is, you know, hearing that he has a family is, is big news. I just, I, I guess I completely missed it. Uh, but, you know, sometimes David Tennant talks really fast. Yeah, so, But, you know, some of this stuff is because of the lengthy history of this series. Um, when the very first doctor in 1963 makes his appearance, he's hanging out with his granddaughter and her two teachers. So this is something like they had established him having family in one way or another from the very first episode. Mm, okay. Yeah, a little hard to go back and see, but you know, it's, it's there. It's out there. That, that's fantastic. All right. Uh, next tidbit, Ashley. Throwing it back to the Christmas invasion again, when the doctor is in the hospital in the beginning, he's wearing the same pajamas that he wore in the Christmas invasion. And probably the funniest line in this episode, a Jadoon platoon on the moon, was originally written as a joke for David Tennant because he has a naturally Scottish accent, but he performed the doctor with the estuary English accent. And the oon pronunciation was quite hard for him to do. And so the writers put that in there as a little joke for him. 
Oh, gosh. Th- thank you so much, Ashley. Uh, once again, uh, great tidbits. I can't wait for next week uh, to hear what you have ready for us. Um, so now, Eric, uh, is there anything else that uh, I should be looking forward to? Uh, it seems like this next episode is going to be another one of those going back into the past episode. But is there is there something that I should be looking forward to or I should be paying attention to? Um. I'm going to say yes, but as far as the next episode is concerned, but I don't think we have to worry about that at this moment. I think we will enjoy that for what it is when we get to it. Um, but I think you're going to enjoy more and more of where uh, where this goes with, with Martha. Um, I think you'll start catching more and more of these Saxon references just, you know, that, that was hit on a couple of times and it's going to build up a little bit. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think you're just going to have a good time with all the different aliens that we get to encounter. And, you know, it's, it's a good time when you get, uh, more creatures like Jadoon, uh, coming around and, uh, um, just sort of spoiling the party a little bit. <laughs> I I cannot wait. I love the Jadoon. Uh, and this was such a fun episode. So thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you, dear listener, for having made it to the end of yet another First Time Lord. Uh, if you like the show, please go on and leave us a comment at firsttimelord.com. You can see all of our previous episodes. Uh, you can comment on all of our previous episodes and let us know what you think. Uh, and, of course, if you want to support us, we do have a merch shop as well as a Patreon site. The link to both of which can be found on the same website, firsttimelord.com. And if you subscribe to Patreon, you get uh, some uh, neat little perks. Uh, But all support is greatly appreciated, including sharing the show. If you know somebody that likes Doctor Who and would uh, get a kick out of going back and rewatching the episodes and sort of sharing in the delight of a first timer like myself, please share the show. Uh, All of your help will help this podcast grow and grow and uh, get this community going and get more people interested in Doctor Who, which has become my life's mission at this point because I love the show. But until next week, I'm going to jump into my TARDIS and head on over to the globe. <laughs>